Good morning. Great to have all of you here today at New City. For those of you watching New City Live, we're great to be joining you wherever you may be watching from. Grateful to be together. So glad that you're here today. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. We've been in a series uh, through the book of Ephesians. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, you can go ahead and be making your way over to Ephesians. Or if you have the New City app, the passage is loaded there with the outline, a place you can take notes and go further as a study guide as well. But before we jump into the message today, I wanted to give a little bit of family news for our church. We had a team that was in Europe this past week. Um, they were there uh, scouting out different partnerships and being with some of our partners and even some of the displaced folks that we've helped um, that came from Afghanistan to the Ukraine and then displaced again and trying to make sure that they're cared for. And I wanted to give a quick update from uh, Pastor Travis Janusik, who's our serve pastor here at New City, about the trip and what they discovered and, and just a blessing to you as a church for, uh, for sending them uh, and, and them representing us as a, as a faith community there. Uh, Travis writes, our time in Europe was truly a powerful experience in so many different ways. There are so many only God stories, he writes, uh, that I'd love to share with you and hope to over time. But I simply want to say thank you for all of your prayers and support uh, during this time. Our goal was twofold on the trip this week. First, we wanted to go and visit our friends from Afghanistan, uh, those that we as a church have helped and sponsored and supported. I cannot emphasize enough how amazing these women are. Their stories of fleeing their country are something not even a Hollywood movie could capture. Second, we got the opportunity to visit some of our ministry partners in Hungary and Poland, different places in Europe, and how they're responding to the crisis of displaced people coming from the Ukraine. One of our days was spent on the Ukraine border, seeing how the body of Christ is stepping up to care for millions of people fleeing their homes. What we see in the news, Travis writes, is only a glimpse of the tragedy that is happening. But in all of this, I continue to be impressed and was this week with something. In all of this darkness and evil that's happening, the light of Christ continues to shine. Despite what efforts this world attempts to cast evil upon others, he writes, it will never defeat the power of love in the name of God through the hearts of believers. Thank you all for your support, for your prayers, and letting us represent New City and see how we can continue to care and serve for displaced people. You know, I, I, I read this week, as I'm sure you've read so many stories, but something struck me this week that 50% of Ukrainian children are not living in their home right now. 50%. You know, so we as a church, a new city, have been focusing on displaced people, not just uh, here in our city. Uh, we started there uh, through displaced people through COVID and, and people searching for, for homes here. But now, of course, around the world, and little did we know when we, we made displaced people our focus uh, as a church, uh, what would be happening in our world in the past year and continues to happen. So I simply want to say on behalf of Travis and the team that was there at our church, thank you for your generosity. Uh, thank you so many of you who have been praying and continue to pray. And I want to lead us in a prayer today for those who continue to be in harm's way, for, for so many people who are displaced right now, but also for what Travis shared, the light of Jesus and Christ being shared through the body of Jesus. Um, you know, the darker this world gets, guys, the brighter the light of Christ can shine. And this world is dark. And it's a time for us as a church, as followers of Jesus, uh, to let our light shine. Uh, Jesus said, uh, let them see your good works 
so they can glorify the Father who's in heaven. And that's what this is about. I do want to challenge you uh, as your pastor. Um, you know, we um, uh, take resources all throughout the year, um, offerings that you give, and we budget money to give to different partners. We try to give over 10% of what's given to our church away to other organizations, uh, not only in Charlotte, but around the world. But we want to collect a, a special offering, and we have been doing that uh, throughout the, the year for displaced people. But specifically, we want to collect uh, for those in the Ukraine who are displaced, uh, the crisis that's taking place acutely right now. And so we have a fund uh, set up on our page. If you go to the newcity.us slash give, uh, here it is, um, page, there's a drop down there. And it just says Ukraine crisis. And every dollar that you give is going to go right out the doors uh, to trusted partners uh, who can help displace people. And we're going to be doing that in two ways. 50% of the money that we collect is going to go to relief organizations that are helping immediate needs of displaced people. So food, shelter, clothing, making sure people who are displaced are, are, are able to, to eat, to be clothed, to have a safe place uh, to sleep, 50%. The other 50% are going to go to church partnerships through our denomination and other partners in the Ukraine and around Ukraine that are supporting refugees and people coming in and supporting long-term. We want to build up pastors in the body of Jesus in the Ukraine and around Ukraine for the long-term needs there. So 50% of the money collected uh, will go to trusted partners there. So you can go to the website, um, newcity.us slash give, and give to the, to the um, Ukrainian crisis. Our goal as a team, I'm just going to share with you, is to raise $150,000, and we want to get it all out the doors before Easter. Um, so Easter's in three weeks, so will you join me in praying that God will do what only he can do? And I uh, just want to challenge you above and beyond your regular giving here uh, to our mission to help people find and follow Jesus. This is a, a special one-time offering. Every dollar that you give is going to go out the doors to our partners um, to help immediate relief in churches uh, in Ukraine and around. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, thank you for this church Thank you for this community of Christ followers that really is bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. And thank you for the opportunity. You know, uh, think about the church in, in Corinth that when the offering came, when the opportunities to give came, they applauded. They were, they were so ready to be a part of what you want to do in the world. So um, help us to have generous hearts. Generosity breaks the back of idolatry and greed. Help us to be generous people, and in ways that we continue to struggle with that, would you just give us faith to trust? Would you provide for our needs? And as you bless us, may we be a blessing to other people. May we, may we go through life with open hands to receive and to give. And we do pray this morning together as a church family, specifically for people who are in harm's way, for these children who will not sleep in their home tonight. For so many people that have lost loved ones, we pray for your grace and your peace. And I pray right now that your body, the church, would be close to those who are brokenhearted. You know, Jesus, you say you're close to the wounded and brokenhearted. May your church, your people be your hands and feet to be close, to serve, to give a cup of water, a bowl of soup, a place to sleep. And would you continue to give us wisdom, not just New City Church, but your church, Capital C Church, to know how we can show up and how we can give. And Father, lastly, I pray, I pray for peace. I pray that you would work in the hearts of people to bring peace in this world. 
Your word reminds us that kings rise and kings fall. So we ask, Lord Jesus, the king of kings, that you would bring peace to your world and continue to bring your enemies, enemies of peace, under your feet and your authority. And we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You know, people break down into two different categories. The first category are people who read instruction manuals. Okay? The second category are those who do not read instruction manuals and know someone or have someone in their life who does read instruction manuals. How many of you are instruction manual readers? Loud and proud. How many of you are instruction manual? Man, that's awesome. I've got a TV I need you to come and program afterwards here. How many of you are, are notorious non-instruction manual readers? Okay, I'm in the latter category. Notorious. Jen, Jen can't stand it. But I married an instruction reader, right? So if you paid attention, non-instruction readers, to, to the hands that went up first, find a friend today who is an instruction reader. For me, it's let's just experience this. Let's get it out of the box and let's just figure it out and experience it, um, which normally doesn't work. We started last week, we, rather we continued our series, our journey through the book of Ephesians. And again, if you're turning your way there, make your way over to chapter 4. And we, we sort of turned the page on our series. We moved from the first half of the book, the first three chapters, uh, to the second half, uh, chapters 4 through 6. And, and when we turned the page to chapter 4, it really is a, a totally different focus and theme uh, one of the things I hope you'll remember in the years to come about the book of Ephesians, these six short chapters, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, is it's broken down in two categories. Do you remember? The first category, the first three chapters are what we believe. Paul is laying for us a foundation of theology, of doctrine, of, of right understanding and thinking about God, which is so important in all of our lives. But it doesn't stop there. If we just know a bunch of things about God, but we don't live it out, then we're incomplete. So the book continues in chapters four through six is how we live. And last week, pastors Nick and Rodney taught us about the imperative mood uh, in the Greek language. There's actually three major uh, moods in the Greek, Greek language, just for a second. There's the, there's the subjunctive, there's the imperative, and there's the indicative. And so there's, there's 35 imperative verbs in the book of Ephesians. And you say, Chris, what is this? why does this matter? Well, it matters because the imperative mood is, is like a command or it's an exclamation mark. You want to think about it that way. So there's 35 exclamation marks in the book of Ephesians. But what's so fascinating is we think about these two sections of what we believe and how we live. 34 of the 35 exclamations or imperatives are found where? Just take a guess. We think about these two parts of the book. They're found in the second part. As Paul just puts these exclamation marks and commands and about how we live. And, and, and there, but there's one. There's one exclamation mark that's found in the first part of the book. And I thought this was really worth highlighting and teaching about today as we continue our series. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. If you want to flip over there real quick, I, I brought it here on the screen too for you to see. This is the one uh, in, indicative ten, or mood in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And here's what Paul writes. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. 
So there's one thing in the first half of the book that he wants to put an exclamation mark on. And you know what it is? Don't forget. Don't forget what your life was like before you met Jesus. And when we get to chapter 4, and we're going to continue today, he's dropping all kinds of imperatives, all kinds of exclamation marks. But the one exclamation mark in the first half of the book about theology and doctrine and foundation of believing is don't forget. You know, if you're, if you're like me, I tend to remember the things that I should forget. And I forget the things that I should remember. Are you like me? I hold on to things that I really should let go of and forget. And I forget far too quickly the things that I should, that, that I should hold on to and center and focus my life on. And Paul says, hey, if there's one thing I don't want you uh, to, to, to forget, it's that your life was, was wasted and, and, and lost and, and desperate before you met Jesus. So the, the first half of the book of Ephesians is, is full of uh, all of these in, indicative verbs. Now, the, the indicative verb, that, that mood, are, are, it's, it's facts, it's assertions. So it's, it's all these foundations, these, these layers about who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us. But the one imperative is don't forget about your life before Jesus. Don't forget who you were before you met Christ. So again, just to footstomp this, the first three chapters are all about what, what Christ has done for you. These indicative verbs of, of assertions about, about facts of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we get to chapter four and the imperative move takes over. And it's all these commands about in light of what God has done for you, about what Jesus has done, this is what you should go and do. This is how you should go and live. Which brings me to these two important words do versus done. Do versus done. You know, and I think these two words really frame up how many of us see our relationship with God. Some of you have been following Jesus in this room for years. Some of you are just starting your relationship with Jesus. Some of you are kicking the tires on what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And you're exploring. All of you are welcome to be here. But what you need to understand with these two words, do versus done, is that many people frame up their spiritual journey and understanding of God with the word do. And what do I mean by that? Well, I've got to do all of these things to prove my worth to God and to earn his favor. And you know what? If we started in chapter 4 of Ephesians with all of these imperative verbs about all the things that we need to do, we could be confused to think, this is just 34 more things that I have to do. 34 more things I've got to do on my long list of things I've got to do to prove my worth to God. And for many of you, I don't know all of your spiritual backgrounds and your journeys, but you grew up in a household or in a place or in a situation where your relationship with God was based on what you had to do. I've got to look a certain way. I've got to talk a certain way. I can't be with other people who look a certain way, who talk a certain way. I've got to do all of these things. And if, I, if I'm a good little boy and I'm a good little girl, I'll get a checkbox beside my name and maybe, just maybe, I can squeeze into heaven 51 to 49. And dear friends, that's religion. That's what religion is all about is Moralism. I've just got to be a good person. I've got to do all these things and, and hope that my good deeds outweigh all my, my bad deeds. 
I've got to do these things. Or there's another option, and we heard it. It's, it's done. It's what Jesus has done for me. It's what God did for me that I could not do for myself. So, so to, to summarize, do is all about religion. It's about morality. It's about all the things that I've got to do, all these ethics that I've got to hold on to to be good enough to prove my worth to God and maybe just maybe God will give me his attention and love me. But done, this is so important, done is what God did for me. It's what Paul writes the first three chapters about. This is everything that God's done for you, these facts about who Jesus is and what he's done. And from that place of what God has done from me, those those first three chapters, that foundation, now I live my life unto God. Now I go and do these things based on what God has done. Do you hear the difference? This is the gospel. You know, we use that word gospel. The word gospel means good news. This is the good, so if there's good news, there's gotta be what? Yeah, there's got to be bad news. You can't have something good unless there's something bad. The good news is that God did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. The bad news is you can't do it. And you wouldn't choose to do it even if you could. The bad news is worse than you thought. The good news is better than you could have ever imagined. The gospel, the good news is this, that through the person, everyone watch this, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God has fully accomplished salvation for you and for me. That's the gospel. That's what God has done. And for some of you, I know it. You came into the room this morning, you're watching online right now, and your relationship with God has been oriented around what you do. I've got to do these things, and I hope I, hope I get into heaven. I hope God loves me. I hope God will give me attention and and look at me and fulfill me and give me purpose in my life. And that's religion. I've got to do these things. It's on me. And here's the gospel. God's done it. God did for me what I could not do for myself. God demonstrated his love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner going the other direction, Christ died for me. And now it's from that foundation of what God has done for me that I go and live my life unto him. Do you hear the difference? One is a response to the love of Jesus. The other is trying to gain the love of Jesus. And Paul wants to set a strong foundation of this is not about moralism or you being a good boy, good girl and doing enough just to get in 51 to 49. This is about you giving your whole life now as an offering for what Christ has done. So he spends three chapters just laying the foundation of who Jesus is. And now we get to chapters four through six and we talk about how we're gonna live. And we're gonna spend the next couple of months in these chapters, but I wanted to start here because if you don't get that, you could hear it as just another laundry list of things to do. And that's not what any of this is about. And that's why Paul begins with the gospel and the understanding of who Jesus is in the first three chapters. And then he gets to all these ideas about how we live. And starting out in chapter four, it turns the page from what we believe to how we live. Based on our relationship with Jesus, what he's done for us, this is what we're gonna go and do now as followers of Jesus. And here's how he starts here in verse one, Ephesians uh, chapter four. He says, therefore, now whenever you see a therefore in the scriptures, what should you do? You should ask, what is it? Yeah, what is it there for? Well, it's there to connect back to the first three chapters. 
So this foundation of what Christ has done for me, now Paul says, I'm going to build on that with what I'm going to do in response to what Jesus has done. Do you hear the difference? It's not, I got to do all these things and I hope that God will just show up and love me. No, in response to what Christ has done through the person and the work of Jesus, God fully accomplishing salvation for you and me. And now Ephesians 2 verse 8, it's not by my works, it's by grace through what? Through faith and trust that I become a Christian. I become a follower of Jesus. I accept him. I put my trust in him and not in myself. Now we get to Ephesians 4 and the second part of the book of how we live. Therefore, Paul writes, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now let me just say a couple things about this verse, because this verse, Ephesians 4 verse 1, as we get to the second part of Ephesians and, and how we live, this verse, Ephesians 4 1, this will be a great one to commit to memory, is the theme verse for the second half of Ephesians. It's all about how we're going to live now in light of how God has lived for us. And so Paul says, therefore, which is connecting back to the first three chapters, based on this foundation of what Jesus has done for me in the gospel, therefore, this is how I want to live. And he reminds us, I'm a prisoner serving for the Lord. This is context. Remember, Paul is writing his letter to the Ephesians from a Roman prison cell. He's been in prison there and he's awaiting execution. He's going to be executed after he writes this letter, not, not far afterwards. And he wants to remind the church at Ephesus, I'm, I'm in prison, not because I'm a criminal, I'm in prison for my faithfulness to God. For, so for some of you who are looking at your circumstances and you're judging, your, you're judging, am I a spiritual person or does God love me based on my circumstances? Look at Paul's circumstances. Paul loved Jesus with all of his heart and served him faithfully and he was in prison. We don't judge the love of God based on our circumstances. We we judge the the love of God based on the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. He says, I'm a prisoner, don't forget that. And then he says these words, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, to lead a life. For some of you, this is why you're here today. You need to hear this. For some of you, you're letting life lead you you. You know, all of us go through different seasons and moments of our life of self-pity. C.S. Lewis said self-pity is the worst of all vices because it leads to every other vice. When I feel sorry for myself, life just happens to me. You know, you've heard me joke before, if my eighth grade baseball coach hadn't cut me and didn't hate me, I would have gone pro. But life just, life just happened to me. And now here I am. And whatever your story is too, the hard things that have happened in your life, and please hear my heart, I'm not diminishing the hard things that have happened in this room. There's a lot of hard things that have happened to each of us. But some of us go through life thinking that life just happens to me and we're led around by our lives and our circumstances. And Paul says, lead your life. You hear the difference? Are, are, are you letting life lead you or is, are you leading your life based on who you are in Jesus? Are you leading a life, look at what he says, worthy of your calling? Now, what is your calling? We use that word a lot, calling. But your primary calling, remember this, your primary calling is always to Jesus. It's not to a job or a vocation, even though God has many assignments uh, in different vocations and places. It's not to your neighborhood. It's not to any other person. Your primary calling as a Christ follower is to follow Jesus. 
And that's what Paul says. Lead a life, don't let life lead you. Lead a life worthy of your calling. Then he just accentuates it. For you have been called by God. Everything, dear friends, listen, the rest of the book springs off of this verse. And he's going to talk about all of these different exclamation marks and commands about how to lead a life worthy of your calling to Jesus. And with that in mind, I want to jump to our passage today, which is verses 7 through 10. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and I want to read it to you and share a couple things before we close. This is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And we're going to stop today in verse 10 and pick it up in 11 next week. Paul writes, however... He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. This is God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. So here's what, here's what I hear in that. Paul is framing up here life as either a contributor or as a consumer. And he begins here in verse 7 by saying, however, circle that in your Bibles or highlight it on your phones if you're following along, Ephesians 4, verse 7. He starts with however. So he's, he's pointing back to the first six verses. And we learned last week that the first six verses of chapter 4, this, this whole idea of how we live is about being united. And Paul says, remain united in the Spirit. And by the way, if you look at uh, the first six verses there, it's not go and, and get united or, or go and work f- to, uh, to be united. He says maintain unity in the body of Christ. In other words, you're already united in Jesus. Your job as a Christ follower is to maintain that unity because you're already united. And now he gets to verse 7 as we continue here in chapter 4 and he says, but however... However, so he's going to juxtapose the first six verses. He's talking about us being united in Jesus, and we are, and maintaining that unity through our peace and our our patience and our humility with one another. But unity, everyone listen to this, unity doesn't mean unanimity in the body of Christ. So what Paul wants to do now is to say, yes, we're united in Jesus, but we've been given different gifts. And those gifts, look at verse 7, come from Jesus. Each one of them is special. Look at those two words, each one and special. God gives each one of us a gift. In fact, did you know in the New Testament there are over 20 different spiritual gifts mentioned? You can go read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and look at these these gifts that Paul mentions that the Spirit gives to the church. And so Paul says, we're united in Jesus, but we're very different individually. And here's the beauty of this, that when you're united to Christ, diversity becomes beautiful, not divisive. Our personalities, our gifts, the way we show up. If we're united in Jesus and focused on Jesus, it becomes a beautiful thing. Paul isn't writing to say all of you need to be the same. You need to look the same. You need to pull for the same team. You need to wear wear the same shade of blue this time of year. You need to vote the same way. You need to do all all the things the same. No, no, not at all. Take a look around right now. God's a creative God. He wanted diversity. We look different. Each of us are different. 
We're united in Jesus, but he gives us different gifts, different personality. That's how God designed it. And what if, maybe just write this down, what if your abilities are really your ministries? These gifts that God has given to you, they become a ministry to other people. And Paul explains this, that here in the, in, in the passage, that we're not owners of our personalities, of our abilities. When we're united in Jesus, we're stewards of these gifts that God has given to us. You know, in heaven, in heaven, you're not going to be rewarded for your giftedness. You're going to be rewarded for your faithfulness. You're faithful to the gifts in this one, hey, we get one life to live, guys. You get one life to live. You're going to be rewarded and honored in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches for your faithfulness to steward the gifts that God has given to you. That's what Paul is saying here. Each one of us has been given a special gift through the generosity of Jesus, verse 7. But he continues, look at verse 8. This is a psalm. It's Psalm 68, verse 18. And a first century Jew who would be reading this would know that this is a psalm of victory, Psalm 68 is written about the exodus from Egypt and Moses leading the exodus, the people out of of slavery and bondage and into the promised land. And Moses ascends up the mountain, right, Mount Sinai, and he comes down with the Torah, with the law. And so in this way, when Paul quotes here from Psalm 68, 18, he's taking this passage that was written about the exodus and Moses and he's applying it to Jesus, And you know, every page of your Bible tells the story of Jesus. Did you know that? Every story of the Bible is a part of the meta story of Jesus. And even the story of Moses is a a prequel to Jesus. Moses is a forerunner of Jesus. And Paul is connecting these two stories now of victory. And he says in the same way that Moses led the people up and out of Egypt, the same way that he went up on Mount Sinai and came down with the Torah and the law for the people of now how to live as the people of God, Jesus came down from heaven to earth. And now Jesus is leading a new exodus out of spiritual slavery and bondage. And Jesus has ascended up onto the mountain in heaven. And and one day he'll descend and come back and return to get us. But until then he has sent down the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father, to indwell us now. Moses came down with the law. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. And we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. We learned that in Ephesians chapter 1. But the Holy Spirit also empowers us to live these imperatives, these commands of how to live a godly life. And so in a sense, this is fascinating. What Paul is writing about here in Ephesians chapter 4, specifically in verse 8, 9, and 10, is this new exodus that Jesus is leading. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, which we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks, Jesus is setting people free from bondage and sin forever. And then he's ascending into heaven to rule and to reign at the right hand of the Father. So at the resurrection, we best see Jesus as Savior. But at the ascension that happens 40 days later, we best see him as Lord. And Jesus is on his throne today. And it may not feel like it as we read the headlines of the news, but Jesus is on his throne ruling and reigning forever. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Look at verse 10. He was seated above everything, verse nine and 10, above everything in the universe. 
You know, this week, this may sound crazy, but this week we were on a road trip with the kids and we're trying to to limit Wi-Fi and devices and parents is a struggle, isn't it? We're with you in the battle and it's worth it. It's worth it to fight for the, the hearts of our kids. And we're in the van, right? And we're driving. And so nobody's on a device. We're having conversations. We're, we're listening to podcasts. And no kidding. Out of nowhere, one of our kids says, Dad, how's the world going to end? I'm like, do we have any iPads? <laughs> like, Jen's asleep. So I look over to Jen. Jen's asleep. I'm like, man, we need to get these kids devices. Um, how, how's the world going to end? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, well, we know Jesus is going to come back, but like, how's the world going to end? And, if, you know, I was thinking about the passage. And actually, in another letter, Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about how the world's going to end. And, you know, when we, when we read the news now, and in the last couple of years acutely, and this has always been throughout history, by the way, I'm reading right now about a book about uh, the bombing of Paris. And, and, and you realize, like, last night I was reading about how Churchill finds out that Pearl Harbor was, was bombed and they, you know, declare war on, on, on the Japanese and they're, you know, the U.S. is not entering into the, world, uh, the, the war with England. It's just the, this whole thing. It's like, man, the world was on fire then too. And you realize like the, 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 the world is not as God intended it to be in every generation. But specifically now in our time, we look and we just go, Lord, how, how long? Well, here's how long. Go, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in verse 24, Paul says, here's how the end is going to come. And so we talked about this in the minivan. Well, here, I don't know exactly. And, and Jesus says it's not for us to know the hour or the time. But we know Jesus is going to come back. And here's what Paul writes about the end of time. He says, Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father. And here's what he's doing. You ready? He's bringing every principality, every thor- force, every enemy that stands against the kingdom of God under his feet. And the last enemy, Paul writes, here I got the passage for you. Uh, In verse 24 it says, the end will come in this way for Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, So Jesus, Paul's busy saying this in chapter 15, Jesus was the second Adam. The first Adam failed and sin entered into the world through the first Adam. But the second Adam, Jesus came and fulfilled what the first Adam didn't do. And when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he was the first of the harvest of many to come for life everlasting. And now, so what's happening now? I thought Jesus, you know, was crucified and he was resurrected. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks at Easter. He was. But we live in the now and the not yet. You know, there was a time between D-Day and V-Day. The war was won on D-Day, but it wasn't until a year later that it was V-Day. The war was won at the resurrection. The enemy has been defeated. But the now and the not yet is Jesus on the throne, sovereign over all the things of the world, bringing every enemy under his feet. And the last enemy that he's going to stomp is death itself. So that's how the end of the world comes. And we had that conversation in the minivan together. So instead of Jesus coming down with a law, like I mentioned, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to now empower the church and then and the not yet as Jesus brings all of his enemies under his feet and the last enemy, death itself. The church now, the people of God, participate in this work. Look at verse 10, last verse today. As Jesus is filling all the universe with himself, 
What does that mean? It means that all the universe will know Jesus and that all of the universe will come under his authority. And then what's going to happen is every, th- is every power against Jesus is brought under his authority. He's going to hand the kingdom to God the Father. And the church now participates in that work. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is. You got it. And that's the era that we live in. And the church now gets to participate through the unique and special gifts that Jesus gives to us and bringing his kingdom here on the earth. And here's the deal. Is I'm going to finish with this illustration. You're probably wondering about these. We rented this, by the way. We didn't take it. We didn't take it. Plenty of options to take, but we didn't take it. We rented it. And so a lot of us, I'll just close here, right? And we'll continue next week. So many of us go through life with a shopping cart. And this has everything to do with the passage. Because if you don't understand that Jesus has gifted you, that your abilities are actually your ministries, that God made you, that he formed you in your mother's womb, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And not only that, when you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to seal you for the day of redemption and gift you, empower you to live the Christian life, to live the way that God's called you to live. And when you know that your basket is full because of the gifts of God, you don't have to go through life with a shopping basket, but so many of us do. And we're consumers in everything, in relationships, in our work, in our churches, we're consumers. And if, and if the groceries don't fit what I want or they're out of something I want, I just go to the next supermarket, the next person, the next whatever. And I just go through life perpetually filling, filling my basket, but it never fills up, guys, because there's a hole in the bottom of this basket. When we go through life as consumers and takers, there's a hole in the bottom of our bucket. It never fills up. If G- hey, if Jesus isn't enough, nothing or no one ever will be in your life. When I just meet that person, then I'll be fulfilled. When I just get that salary level, I'll be fulfilled. When I just get that role, I'll be fulfilled. No, you won't. You never will. If you go through life with the heart of a consumer, you'll never be filled. When you know that you've been filled with Jesus and you've been given enough, you show up with a towel and a basin. You see the difference? I'm I'm a taker here in life. I'm a giver here. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, what does he do? He sits at the table, he has a meal with his friends like he did. He, he, he scooches away from the table, he gets a towel in a basin. He starts washing their feet. And he says, I'm doing this to give you an example. And this for all of us as Jesus followers. I'm speaking in here today, I'm closing right now, okay? I promise. I promise, but this is so important. I'm speaking today to those of you who are Christ followers. For those of you who are here and you're exploring, you're kicking the tires, I'm so glad you're here. Keep coming. Let's keep talking about Jesus. Let's keep talking about the difference between do and done. Okay? It's a safe place to do that. I want to talk to Christ followers right now as we finish. This isn't our posture. And if you're a Jesus follower and this is your posture and your relationships and your work and your church and whatever, you're showing up in a way that Jesus never designed you to. And nothing and no one is ever going to be enough. And what will be so confusing to the world is that you'll talk about being a Christian, but you'll go through as a consumer. And it's so confusing. But when you come over here in humility, and we're not always going to get it right, okay? We're not always going to get it right. But when we, when, by God's grace and his power, we show up with a towel and a basin, and we follow Jesus' example, and we start washing dirty, stinky feet, and we start showing up in ways not to be a superstar, but to be a servant, and to show, you know, uh, displaced people who are crossing the border 
and people who need homes and, and, and people who need to be loved and people today that you're going to bump into that are thinking about ending their life, people today that are thinking about ending their marriage, thinking, thinking about sabotaging everything that God wants to do in their life, and they need to hear a word of life and love from someone. They need to be reminded that God loves them and that life wasn't meant to be lived as a consumer. It was meant to be lived as a contributor. And I don't show up with a basket cart. I show up with a bowl and a towel. And life is found in the bowl. It's found in the base and the towel as I serve and I give my life away. That's where I find life. That's the secret of the kingdom, the upside down of the kingdom. Is when I ditch my, my basket and I get the towel in the basin, I find my purpose in life. That's why Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. Because you find life, you find me. You find me in the towel in the basin, not in the shopping cart. This is the bottom line today, guys. If you don't take anything else away, I hope you'll remember this. We don't just have God's gifts, right? We don't just collect God's gifts and keep collecting and collecting from other people. We are God's gifts. We are the church. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed, the Bible says we are a peculiar people, right? Amen. We're different. Not weird for weird's sake. We're weird because we don't go through life like this, like everybody else, saying mine and me. Some people, Nick reminded us last week, I love this. Some people show up in a room and they go, here I am. Jesus showed up in a room and said, there you are. There you are. Jesus came to serve and not to be served and to give his life away as a ransom for many. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word because, because your word, your word sanctifies us it makes us more like you. And so thank you for the gift of your word. In a, in a world that is totally lost in a wash in relativism, there, that says there is no truth, we say today there is truth. You are truth. And you've given us your word. So thank you for this word today. I, I want to pray if there's anything I've said that isn't in line with your spirit, that it'll just be forgotten. But anything that's from you, Jesus, and from your spirit, would you seal it deep within our hearts today? Give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us. And as we go today, would you give us the courage and the faith to live it out? In the name of Jesus, amen. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt So praise the Father
guys so much for being here. Uh, it's great to be with you. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you. I'm going to be up front. Um, I'd love to meet you and pray with you if you want to pray about something today in response to the message. If you're looking to get connected here, the easiest way to do that, we'd love for New City to be your church home, is to go to Connection Point. It's right out in the courtyard today, beautiful day. Um, we have a team of folks that would love to welcome you and help you get connected here. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a benediction as we go? May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. This week, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and turn his attention towards you. And today and all throughout the week, may the Lord fill you with his peace and his power and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Love you guys.